Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I'm a big believer that the way in which sports fans show their love of sports is by arguing about it. That That's just kind of our pastime, that we watch the games, but we also want to compete ourselves. And so sports arguments kind of become our own version of that competition of, you know, who's the GOAT or who's the, you know, just whatever. You know, every kind of debate kind of becomes... Uh, you know, very intense in the world of sports because those of us who are big sports fans, we, you know, are even on a show like this, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, where the subject is Georgia football, and I'm a Georgia fan, you're a Georgia fan. Even those of us who are, you know, 90% of our worldview when it comes to sports is actually fairly similar. Even within the framework of that, we'll still have arguments amongst ourselves, kind of intramural squabbles from time to time because sports fans just like arguing about things. Who's supposed to be starting here? Who should be doing that? Who should be doing whatever else? I think that's really fun. And I've told you this before that while you can also have arguments and other things there as well, you can argue about music, you can argue about movies, you can argue about restaurants, you can argue about a lot of things. I actually kind of find those kinds of arguments pretty maddening because those uh, uh, you know areas of life, forms of entertainment, things like that, they don't have what sports has. To me, the thing that makes a sports argument fun to have and frankly worth having is the fact that sports has a scoreboard, you know, big scoreboard. If you're watching a basketball game, it hangs right down there over the court. If you're in a football stadium, you look over to the side and these scoreboards keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, at least the video boards do. That the presence of the scoreboard in sports makes the arguments worth having because we actually do get a resolution. If you argue about politics, nobody ever even agrees on what they're arguing about. So, so there's never any kind of like full and final resolution in any argument in that realm because – People, you know, just don't even uh, agree about anything, even enough to ever say, yeah, I'm going to take the L. People don't really do that. But in sports, you do kind of have a version of that. And that's one of the reasons why I've always loved the offseason time of football, because it is a time for, you know, college football fans in this particular case, just kind of find something to argue about, kind of do it for sport, do it for fun. It's no harm, no foul. Nobody really gets all that upset about it. Just kind of thing that you express your opinion on. And one of the ways in which college football fans have always kind of done this is when it comes to the topic of lists hey let's rank things now sometimes that's just ranking the teams for the upcoming year or in some cases it's ranking the best players or the best moments whatever else and one of my personal favorites on this is to to rank the best coaches i think that's always really interesting uh when we do that because it brings so many different things into the discussion and i think for a lot of georgia fans over the course of the last few years this is prior to having won a national championship i think there has been a little bit of frustration among some georgia fans about where kirby smart has ranked on a list like this in fact before i get to the the new list let me go back in time here for a moment can we play bill bender here bill uh, is from the sporting news And he was on the show last year and we brought him onto the show because when the Sporting News, that's the um, August body of journalism that Bill Bender works for, when they ranked their coaches going into the 2021 season, Kirby Smart was only ranked seventh. And what we were a little frustrated with on this show, and many of you expressed the same kind of thing about was that Smart was actually ranked behind guys that he had beaten head-to-head. Jimbo Fisher, who he beat head-to-head in 2019. Uh, Brian Kelly, who he beat twice in 2017 on the road, in 2019 there as well. There were actually guys uh on the list who were ranked ahead of kirby smart at least in this particular list from the sporting news that smart had actually had gotten head-to-head wins against and to a lot of us going back to the start of the 2021 season smart only being the seventh best coach in college football seemed a, a little too low and so the guy that did the ranking bill bender from the sporting news we brought him on to dog nation daily and talked about that at the time uh, this is what happened then uh, fair yeah and that's the first thing i told our staff i said they're going to bring up the two notre dame games with bk um, you know, with Kelly, I mean, Kelly's been to the playoffs twice and had two undefeated seasons. They played two close games, but Kirby won them. I think, uh, you know, Oklahoma's a tough one because Oklahoma in their conference, they've won their conference every year under Lincoln Riley. They're producing Heisman candidates at quarterback every single season. And Georgia, we always talk about, is this the right quarterback for Georgia? I think that's a big difference. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Kirby's recruiting at an elite level. 
Um, one big, I think the biggest thing with his ranking is the next part is how do you get into that number three spot? You got to win one. And Jimbo's won one. So it's really interesting to hear Bill Bender going back to last offseason saying, hey, maybe if Kirby were to win a national championship, he can move all the way up to number three on the list of uh, top coaches in college football. Well, my oh my, how much things can change in one year, because let me show you this on the screen. And this is not from Bill Bender Sporting News. It's a different outlet, but it's the same kind of idea of, you know, national publications ranking coaches and uh, 24-7 sports, I believe they are the first to put their list out of top coaches. And believe me when I tell you we're going to argue about all of these. Well, all of a sudden, the reigning national championship coach, Kirby Smart, no longer just trying to be the third best coach in the sport behind Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney, the two guys that have kind of had a stranglehold on the top two spots now for quite some time. According to this list, Kirby Smart is now second as the second best coach in college football. Now, for those of you listening radio podcast, I'll read you the full top ten. So Saban, as you might expect, number one, Kirby Smart, now all the way up to number two after uh, only being you know near the bottom of the top ten maybe a year ago. Dabo Swinney from Clemson, number three. Lincoln Riley now of USC at number four. Jimbo Fisher, number five. Jim Harbaugh, number six. Brian Kelly now at LSU, number seven. Ryan Day at eight. Luke Fickle at nine. And Dave Aranda from Baylor comes in at number ten. Brad Crawford from 24-7 Sports, the guy who helps tabulate all of this list. So isn't this really interesting that all of a sudden Kirby Smart goes from being a guy near the bottom of the top 10 to all of a sudden being number two on the list of top coaches in college football? And not only has he skyrocketed on a list like this, when you look at the accomplishments of this past year, you add to what Smart's done in the past. And here's the thing you notice that Smart may be trailing only Nick Saban right now. But look at this win last year against Dabo Swinney, win at the end of the 2017 season against Lincoln Riley, win in 2019 against Jimbo Fisher, win at last season the Orange Bowl against Jim Harbaugh, two wins previously against Brian Kelly, a win against Luke Fickle at the end of the 2020 season. So of the uh, eight guys who are ranked below uh, Kirby Smart on this top 10 list, Smart has a total of seven wins against them and no losses whatsoever. So suddenly Kirby Smart has gone from being the well he's got all this talent but what does he do with it or you know when is Kirby Smart going to break through the hump and win a national championship all of a sudden uh that glass ceiling has been shattered George is a national champion and suddenly Smart's coaching credentials all of a sudden stack up pretty well against anybody else in the sport and to kind of further accentuate why this matters is you really see the way in which critics of Smart, and not to say that Smart's got a ton of those, but listen, anytime you're a prominent figure to a place like George, to go back to what we said off the top of the program, sports fans like to argue. Arguing sports fans or argumentative media types are going to try to put a caricature around somebody. They're going to try to turn somebody into kind of a simplified version of themselves. And the simplified version of Smart was, in the past, well, he's got all this talent. He's a tireless recruiter. But does he really get the most out of them on the field? Is he really a good X's and O's coach? Is he really a good in-game coach? And for a lot of people in the past, that's been the kind of thing they've used to maybe justify ranking smart on top coaching lists like this below guys we'd actually beaten head to head. That There was this kind of convoluted logic of well yeah maybe smart's getting these wins but he's got more talent than these other guys do we think that the other guys may be better in-game coaches in fact if once again you want to go back to last year for a moment uh paul feinbaum was actually on wjox that's his affiliate in birmingham he was doing an interview there uh, on the morning show and he kind of laid it out like the big knock against kirby smart maybe a narrative that after this national championship has been defeated once and for all the notion that somehow smart is somehow deficient as an in-game coach this is what paul feinbaum said about that last summer kirby smart just needs to to quiet down that that conversation out there that that he can't uh that he's not a great on the field coach and, and whether he is or isn't it will continue to be debated but but i think his record is pretty good so I think that's pretty interesting that this idea that he's not an on-field coach, that he's that that he's not the kind of guy that's going to push the right buttons during the game. That's the thing that Feinbaum said going into last year that Smart needed to defeat. Well, can't we say that's what Smart's done? I mean, can't we say that the notion that Kirby Smart uh, not going to make the right kinds of decisions to lead to a national championship? Look at all the choices that Smart had to make along the way to getting it done a year ago. In fact, choices that he was criticized for at the time 
that I think that he ultimately gets the last laugh on. So it's going to be a fun offseason with stuff like this because for so many years, we'd heard so much of the same kind of stuff of, ah, oh, yeah, Kirby's a good recruiter, but all these other guys are better coaches. And yeah, Smart may have beat them head to head, but Smart's doing more with less. They're doing less with more, or whatever else. Even a guy like Dabo Sweeney, who's won multiple national championships after what Georgia did this season and compares to what Clemson did this season and Kirby getting that win to head to head. All of a sudden, even the Dabo Kirby comparison doesn't feel quite like what it did before. That we around here believe that Smart's always been a very good coach. And as a lot of folks have, I think, correctly pointed out, and this is something we talked about, you know, many months ago, that we're still talking about a coach that's in the infancy of his career. He's only been on this job now for a few years, and very quickly he has had a huge degree of success for a coach that was just a rookie way back in 2016. So maybe now that he's got his national championship and he's got a whole bunch more wins against coaches that are kind of thought to be among the best in the sport, maybe now he will get his just credit as one of the best of the sport as well. Ranked number two on this list, I think that sounds like a pretty good spot for him to be with uh, maybe chasing down Nick Saban still to come in many years uh, coming up ahead. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we're glad to have you with us. No matter how you get to us today, first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. After that, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960, the Rev Podcast, wherever you find them, including the world famous dognation.com, Apple, Spotify, everything else. Just really appreciate you being a part of the program here today and of course big thanks to our friends at engineered solutions of georgia for making it all possible of course foundation waterproofing issues this is really important stuff when it comes to your home which is the most important investment you have that means that you are in many cases anyway that means you want to do everything you can to protect it the structural integrity of your home that's what's threatened by some sort of foundation issue or if you've got water creeping in where it's not supposed to be that's a real challenge and that's a challenge that engineered solutions of georgia steps up to address each and every day for a lot of folks in our audience and folks all across dog nation there as well they're proud partners of uga it's always fun to do business with those that support the dogs and it's uh, certainly a great appreciation of ours that so many of you support them because they've been longtime friends of us here on dog nation daily and we are grateful for that we're also grateful for the service they provide because solutions-based company means giving you a simple fix for your issue if that's what's required or if it's something more complicated they've got two full-time engineers on staff that means smart people doing great work for you and their phone number could not be easy to remember it's the simplest way to reach out and get to know engineered solutions of georgia simply give them a call 678-ESOG now that's right dial that number 678-ESOG OG now that'll get you in touch with engineered solutions of George and it's great to have them as a part of dog nation daily here today all right we're gonna get Connor Riley coming up in just a moment we'll do a Kroger fresh take with him and looking forward to being able to do that let me squeeze in a little news before we get there around the doghouse here. So it was reported yesterday, Connor had a good story up on this at dognation.com, that Brock Bowers dealing with a little bit of a lingering shoulder injury going back to the end of last season. Remember, Kirby Smart talked about that uh, around the Orange Bowl time, and it was still kind of an issue going into the Alabama game. He is going to have that labrum surgery recovering during spring practice, expected to miss the full practice. You can read about that there uh, more at dognation.com. To me, this is not dissimilar to what like maybe Nicope Dean dealt with last Last spring, a guy who did not participate in those practices and drills and G Day, but obviously on the field for the 2021 season was as good a single season year as anybody's recently had in Georgia football history. And I guess the same thing could be expected to be true for Bowers there as well, that he's likely to be fine and, you know, getting fixed up and cleaned up here. And uh, he'll get a chance to get healthy and be ready to go for the summer heading into the fall. I think it also creates a pretty interesting scenario with the Georgia tight end room while Bowers is not here. And one of the things we know is this is an incredibly deep position group right now and I think that tight end even beyond Brock Bauer shows an incredible level of promise whether it be guys who have been here like Darnell Washington or guys who are entering into the program like Oscar Delp and I think one of the questions that is to be asked with the Georgia tight end situation is when you look at the success that Bowers enjoyed last year is this because Bowers is just that special or is this because Georgia now has a renewed focus on making the tight end position in a Todd Munkin offense as valuable as it can possibly be? I think that's a very important question to address as you look at a spring without Bowers where other guys, both in practice and on G-Day, get a chance to shine. With that in mind, 
Let me let you hear a little bit of Kirby. This is after the Kentucky game about just how important the tight end position, including Bowers, has become a part of this Georgia offense. This was good from Kirby during the season on that subject. Take a listen. Coach Hartley's done a great job. First, it starts with recruiting, go get good players, and then get them to buy into the team and buy into blocking and being selfless, and then buy into making plays when you get an opportunity. I think uh, Coach Hartley, Coach Munkin, the whole offensive staff puts the plan together that off of our play action, uh, our tight ends are weapons. They're size guys. They make plays down the field. And, hey, let's give Stetson some credit. And we've got a good, tight, talented tight end room. And as long as they buy in to the team first concept, then – we got a chance to be successful, but on this particular subject, there's one thing that always sticks out to me is I remember when Todd Munkin gave his preseason press conference last summer. This is one thing the Georgia coordinators kind of always do. They'll sort of give a state of their side of the ball before the year begins, and then we don't really hear from them again until the end of the season. That's been kind of the tr- tradition around Georgia. We obviously wish we got a chance to hear more from, you know, Munkin or whoever the defensive coordinators are. We, we kind of wish we got a chance to do that, but we don't always could do that. But hearing from Munkin at the beginning of last season, when he was asked about the role that Eric Gilbert would be able to play for Georgia at the time, we were expecting Gilbert to maybe be playing for UGA last year. And when Munkin was asked about that, one of the things in his answer that Munkin very quickly pivoted to was Gilbert obviously being a special, you know, level of athlete. And in that same sentence, kind of compared him to Brock Bowers and very quickly on his own Munkin kind of pivoted to Brock Bowers in that discussion and what that always led me to believe was is that Georgia knew right away what they had in Bowers what kind of special talent he had the potential to be now could they have predicted all the records that he broke maybe maybe not but they certainly knew they had something special when it came to Brock Bowers and I think we're about to find that out this spring there as well. There's a guy like Darnell Washington who's been here and shown flashes, but can he show more of that? There's a guy like Oscar Delb who's you know told me directly and mentioned in many interviews himself that part of the reason why he came to Georgia was because of the way that it used Bowers, feeling like he could be used in in, in much the same way. And other names you can also mention in this discussion, Rylan Godey and whoever whoever else, that, that we have seen that Georgia clearly has a special tight end. That's what Bowers is. But can it also show that that position group with all this other talent is also special in a in, in a similar level? That's what this spring may be about there for UGA. It's never a good thing when a player gets hurt. Obviously, we wish Bowers well as he comes back from this injury and gets ready to go for the uh, upcoming fall. But while he is gone, it is an opportunity for other players in this position group. And tight ends become very important in this Todd Munkin offense, and it's definitely a chance for some others to step up all right it's good to have you here on dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia today the bowers injury and the surgery and the absence during spring practice just one of the things going on around the dogs right now so we'll cover that and a whole bunch more as we welcome in connor riley as a part of a kroger fresh take here today and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. And Connor, I'll uh, begin our Kroger Fresh Take with you by asking you the question I kind of rhetorically asked myself a moment ago. You know, when you look at the performance of Brock Bowers last year, now that we know that he's likely to, to miss spring practice, you know, what we saw last year, is this an example of Brock Bowers just individually being a very special player? Or is this about the Georgia offense as led by Todd Munkin that's going to have a special ability to get a lot out of its tight ends. Which of those two things do you think is the uh, most true? Yeah, the cowardly answer here is both, I think. But what I'm going to say is I actually think it's maybe a little bit more Bowers just being that special than, you know, you can plug in Darnell Washington and Darnell Washington will do what Brock Bowers did. You can plug in Oscar Delp and Oscar Delp can do what Brock Bowers did. I think that that's just a, that puts a really unfair sort of expectations on Washington and Delp, where I think are going to be very good players for Georgia. But there's a reason Brock Bowers did what he did last season. And even in games against Michigan and Alabama, where they knew Georgia wanted to get him the football, it Bowers was still good enough to make the plays in that situation there. If Bowers had merely had a good year a year ago, then to me, I'd be sitting here saying, hey, it's plug and play. You know, this is the Todd Munkin offense. He features tight end. So, you know, Bowers is out. Then you can slide somebody else right in there. They'll do the same thing. 
But when Bauer sets records, touchdowns, and you know, you know, you know, records for any player catching the uh, you know touchdowns in the Georgia uniform, certainly records in terms of total number of receptions for for a tight end. When the stat line is that prolific, I am more likely to believe that hey, Brock really just was that special, and in his absence, with that spotlight now kind of taken off of him, it is a chance to find out what you have in these other guys. But let's not lose focus on just how amazing Brock's year was last season. Right, and so I, I think you know the big thing. Obviously, Darnell probably gets uh, goes under a bigger microscope. Honestly, for me, the big thing with him is just making sure that he's healthy, that he gets through spring practice without picking up an injury and is able to go through because he's played a lot of snaps by this point in time. And I think really what you're going to want to see from him is sort of, you know, I don't want to say take over the the John Fitzpatrick role, but if he's in a spot where he's on the field all the time because he is taking those John Fitzpatrick reps in addition to what he was doing a season ago, that puts you in a much better place to where you're just naturally going to get more targets and more receiving yards. I think the guy this really opens the door for this injury is Oscar Delp. And, and thinking back to last year, you know, Kirby Smart, when, when discussing why Bowers was able to do what he did, obviously his talent factors into that. But you know, John Fitzpatrick was dealing with a foot injury all season. Uh, Darnell Washington had a same foot injury. And so early on, especially in that pivotal month of August, Bowers was really the only guy healthy enough to get consistent reps. And so with no Bowers there, John Fitzpatrick off to the NFL – I think Oscar Delp is going to have a real opportunity to come in this spring and most importantly, just learn, get a lot of reps, get his hand in the dirt, get his nose bloodied, so to speak. And because you look back at last year in the spring game, Donald Washington had four catches for 84 yards and a touchdown. It would, would have far and away been his best seat, uh, best game at, over the course of the 2021 season. Obviously he didn't end up getting there, but I think because of that injury, but Brock Bowers only had three catches for 37 yards, but it was what Bowers was able to do in practice that I think really set everything up for Georgia to where he was able to come in and make the impact that he did during the 2021 season. I want to ask you in a moment about the search for a defensive backs coach and what we've heard about that over the course of the last few days. But let me bring you in on the discussion I was having off the top of the show for a moment. Ultimately, where Kirby Smart ranks amongst some media outlets, top coaches list is not important. But I am personally entertained by the way in which these arguments evolve over time. Played you the Paul Feinbaum audio of Smart being knocked for not being a good in-game coach or Smart maybe being ranked near the bottom of the top 10 in some of these lists previous. All of a sudden, now he shoots way up to number two. The fact that Smart is now maybe getting the credit he deserves for being a top coach in college football, given the fact that he has a national championship, he has head-to-head wins against the other you know, kind of would-be top 10 guys, the fact that, you know, Smart's evolving in a, in a discussion like this, I, I do find that pretty interesting. What do you think of the way in which now Smart is viewed post-national championship to the way he would have been viewed, you know, prior to this? I think it shows the growth that Kirby Smart has had as a coach. You know, you know he's answered to this point just about every question you can answer. Obviously, you'd maybe like to see him have more success against Nick Saban, but you can't knock him for not being able to beat Nick Saban anymore. You can't knock him for not winning a national championship. He's done both of those things. And you look up and down that list, uh, Ryan Day is the only guy that he hasn't beaten. And that's the only, and the only reason why is because he hasn't played him. Now, Dave Aranda had had a lot of success when he was LSU's defensive coordinator, but he is now running things at Baylor. I imagine if those two teams played, Georgia would probably win that this coming season. But I do think it speaks larger to what Kirby Smart has built and, worth keeping in mind he's still a young coach when it comes to you know experiencing these kind of things and and Lincoln Riley I know is a name that he gets compared to a lot because I think Riley became a head coach the year after Smart had and Riley is obviously an antithesis I think to everything that Smart wants to be in his building here and so to see you know Smart obviously make the big leap up that he did this past season answering really all questions and doubts and Lincoln Riley going to USC, I think we can pretty safely say ducking feels maybe a bit too strong, but not wanting to be a part of the SEC at Oklahoma, you know, preferring, I would say, an easier path to the playoff. But we've also seen when Kirby Smart gets to the playoff, he's there to win. He got he's gotten to the national championship both times he's gotten to the playoff. Other times he's pushed, uh, uh, you know, a playoff caliber team in Alabama to the brink. Every time Oklahoma showed up in the playoff or in a big game against an SEC opponent under Lincoln Riley, they got their doors beat off of them with the exception of of the Rose Bowl where they blew a 17-point lead there. So I I think, you know, with Smart, he's answered every single question that you could ask for him. And obviously now it's how does he go about continuing to both – 
close the gap to Saban and distance himself from the rest of his contemporaries. Here's another reason why I think the comparison to Lincoln Riley is actually really appropriate in that for the good and for the bad, Lincoln Riley is clearly the greatest influence on his team's performance. And I would say the same thing is true about Kirby Smart, that for in good times and in bad times, Smart's influence on UGA is obvious. Whereas, let's look at Dabo Swinney here for a moment. We're going to find out a lot about Dabo this year, no longer having Brent Venables as a defensive coordinator. It's a guy that's been with him for a long time. You know, continuity on that coaching staff has mattered for Dabo. This is not me saying I don't think Dabo can coach. This is me saying that there is a level of success that Clemson has enjoyed that in part is due to the consistency they've had amongst their assistant coaches. Also, when you look at Nick Saban here for a moment, Saban himself has been very open and honest that his willingness to outsource offense to somebody else is a reason why he believes that they've remained a uh, contender for national championships. And therefore, when you look at the individual influence of a coach on the team, there's no doubt in my mind that Smart has a greater influence on Georgia than Nick Saban has on Alabama, that Nick Saban has told you that the offensive coordinator on this program is very, very important, whether it was Bill O'Brien this year, who not all, every Alabama fan loved, certainly Steve Sarkeesian before that, and obviously Nick Saban loved telling stories about how much he trusted Lane Kiffin back when Kiffin was the offensive coordinator there, that the thing that makes Smart unique in this conversation among some of these top coaches is the fact that it is Smart's influence in his own team as much as anything else that actually led to a national championship, whereas for other top coaches like, say, Sweeney and Saban, some of their success is because of who they outsource their influence to. Right. And now I would point out here, Georgia, I don't think wins a national championship if, if Jim Chaney is still the offensive coordinator or James Coley is still the offensive coordinator. There. And Todd Munkin does deserve credit for that. I think Kirby Smart going out and getting a guy in Todd Munkin to run his office, he deserves some credit there for that. And I would also, again, praise Munkin for the job he did there. But let's look back to the national championship game and how Georgia went about winning that. It was such a clear distinction of what Smart wants his team to be. You know, obviously loaded with talent to where they are able to overcome potential injuries that happen, whether they be in a game or over the course of the season there. Let's also bring up the fact that when Georgia absolutely needed to in the fourth quarter of that game, they were just the tougher team than Alabama and that on that on that Monday in Indianapolis, they scored 24th quarter points there. And I think really when they absolutely had to make plays there at the end of the game, not unlike we saw in the Super Bowl this past uh, Sunday, you know, Stetson has the turnover, comes down the next drive, leads them on a touchdown. Georgia gets a three and out. Georgia then gets another touchdown. Georgia then gets the Keeley Ringo pick six. Georgia then sucks, sacks Bryce Young to end the game there. It was exactly what Kirby Smart had always wanted his team to be. And when they absolutely needed to the most in the final quarter of the college football season, they played the way Kirby Smart wants this team to play. And I think that says a lot about his abilities as a coach to take his personal ethos and instill that in his team. So let me change the subject here for a moment. Something I'm a big believer in is that I think college football fans, this is not just Georgia fans. I think it's true across the board. I think we get too fixated on who turns down a job. That that We turn that into some sort of, I don't want to say scandal, but this kind of controversial thing that we ought to be worried about if a job was, you know, uh, if, if, if a coach was approached by a job and he decides he doesn't want to take that job, that's the kind of thing that you ought to be worried about. Over the course of the weekend, you know, you see Zach Etheridge kind of use the rumored George interest as a way of kind of flexing about his decision to stay at Auburn. We'll never know exactly what went on there, but that's one of those things that uh, clearly he's using as a narrative right now. There have been rumors and reports that Georgia might be interested in Mike Reed, who obviously has great credentials as Clemson's defense back coach. He also makes a ton of money there uh, with Clemson. But there have also been now some rumors and reports refuting some of the initial rumors and reports that a guy like Reed might be interested in leaving Clemson to come to UGA. Connor, this is what I told John Stinchcomb yesterday, and I'll tell you the same thing to you right now. As a Georgia fan, if I'm only going to see my program extend offers and overtures to coaches that they know will say yes, then you are greatly limiting the pool of guys that could become one of your assistant coaches. So if Georgia reached out to Reed and he decided he didn't want to come, that's no big deal to me. Same thing for Zach Etheridge there as well. If he got reached out to by Georgia and he decides he wants to flex and say, hey, I'm all in at Auburn, even though we know that no one's truly all in at Auburn for the long haul, I'm sort of okay with that too. I'm not scandalized by by a, a coach deciding he doesn't want to come to UGA. This place just isn't for everybody. What do you make of the current search for a 10th assistant coach for the dogs? Well, I agree with your point. 
look, let's look back to the last time I would say Georgia made the quote unquote easy hire. It was in 2019 after Jim Chaney left to become the offensive coordinator at, at Tennessee. Very quickly, we saw James Coley promoted to the offensive coordinator role at Georgia, and it made sense. He'd been the quarterback's coach, had been a co-OC before, had been with the program, was a dynamic recruiter for this team, and had a prior experience as an offensive coordinator at a situation in Miami that I think we could say was not all on him. It was disastrous, and you've been as vocal about that as anyone. That 2019 offense was just not good enough. And, yes, they had youth at wide receiver, but even beyond that, Georgia should have found a way to, to get around that. And I would point out that James Cooley was the wide receivers coach before taking over as the quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator. So he should hold some of the responsibility there for that. And to your next point there about going out and taking big swings, when Georgia hired Todd Munkin, I personally, that was a really big swing, uh, a, a name that most people thought was probably going to stick around in the NFL given he left a head coaching job at Southern Miss to go there. And, you know, that's probably a name that most people don't think to go out and get because they just assume he's going to say no. And so, you know, like Mike Reed, for example, I'm, I've always been a little bit skeptical uh, of him landing at Georgia, just given, you know, he makes a lot of money at Clemson and we know the contract details at Georgia right now for co-defensive coordinators, Will Muschamp and Glenn Schumann, we're only making $800,000. So you're telling me that Mike Reed is going to take a pay cut to come be a defensive backs coach at Georgia where he's going to have to work with Kirby Smart and work with Will Muschamp and at some point in time play, I think, third fiddle in that secondary room? That, that always just seemed a bit of a stretch to me. I know Georgia wants to go big game hunting with its coaching staff here, but with this defensive back room and with the way the Georgia defense is set up, it, you know, these really big names, these Zach Etheridge's, Mike Reed, I would throw Marcus Woodson from Florida State there. Those names, it's going to say a lot about what those coaches want and what those coaches envision because, you know, a season ago, Georgia goes out and gets Jamel Adai, a, a hot rising name. And for a number of reasons, the fit just wasn't there at Georgia. And so I think, you know, it's going to be a longer process where I think similar to the outside linebacker coach, you know, it might not be the biggest name in the world, but you can bet that Georgia's going to leave no stone unturned in finding a guy that is going to coach up these defensive backs. I don't want to completely replicate the conversation I had yesterday, but I am curious of this to, to bring in, I guess, the devil's advocate point of view that some folks have maybe wondered about out loud of, you know, we've been at Georgia practice. We've seen how hands-on Kirby Smart is with the defensive secondary. Will Muschamp's down on-field coach. We know how uh, well-established his credentials are when it comes to coaching that back end of a defense. The presence of a Muschamp, the presence of a Smart, guys who are who are well-credentialed in that role, and frankly also the kinds of guys that are going to, you know, take a lot of responsibility. Is that a turnoff for a young up-and-coming coach that maybe on a staff that already includes Smart and already includes Muschamp – I don't get a chance to make a name for myself the way that I would be somewhere else where the head coach and the defensive coordinator, co-defensive coordinator aren't quite so involved. Yeah. Again, I, I, I bring up the, uh, Jadera Uzo Deribe name. And again, sorry if I didn't nail the pronunciation there. Uh, it's going to be, I think a higher similar at not too dissimilar from Georgia going out and hiring Dan Lanning all those years ago, a, a guy who, again, you know, I think Etheridge is closer to a finished product. I think Reed, I think, really wanted to be the defensive coordinator at Clemson. That's perhaps why you're hearing his name floated at Georgia there. Not so that he's going to be Georgia's defensive coordinator, but similar to, say, Josh Gaddis leaving Michigan because it became apparent to him he's not going to be the head coach. I think these guys want upward mobility, and that's not to say that that can't happen at the defensive backs coach position in Georgia right now. But it's clear, to me at least anyway, there's a couple of guys on the pecking order that would be ahead of whoever that defensive backs coach is in being the defensive coordinator. You've got Glenn Schumann, who's been here for a while. I think Trey Scott, with what we've seen from the defensive line, would be a very deserving defensive coordinator candidate going forward. So you've got some rungs that you're going to have to climb, even within the structure of Georgia, to get to a defensive coordinator. Well, let's be honest, Resort still has a ton of involvement there. And if you're looking to become a head coach, it's going to take some hurdles that you're going to have to overcome just working with a defensive-minded guy and, in frankness, working as a defensive coordinator in general because I think with the way college football is, even with the success that Georgia has had, even with the success that the Los Angeles Rams had this season, Raheem Morris had one NFL head coaching interview this season. I think when you factor in what he did with the Falcons a year ago, he's had head coaching experience in the past. I think that Morris can't even really get a sniff of what he was able to do with this defense – I think speaks to a larger point in, in college and NFL football right now, where if you're a defensive first guy, it's just going to be harder for you to get jobs. 
in the NFL here for a moment. I want to finish with this. I want to talk about the Super Bowl in a moment. This is our Kroger Fresh Day with Connor Riley right now. And obviously, also to make sure you know about our friends at Kroger and a great new membership opportunity they have. It's called Kroger Boost. You get more savings. You get more benefits. It's an entirely new level of membership that you're going to really enjoy. You can get free grocery delivery. You can get twice the fuel points and all kinds of special offers there as well. So here's the website to go to. It's Kroger.com slash boost. That's Kroger.com slash boost. And you can enroll for as little as $59 for the year. So check out uh, Kroger Boost for all kinds of great incentives, more fuel points, free to grocery delivery, and so many other cool things there as well. So, Connor, a little bit on the Super Bowl here for a moment. First of all, I mentioned this yesterday on our show, and I think I may have done this with our video audience. I don't remember a lot of Super Bowl winning quarterbacks having their college talked about as much as Matthew Stafford's has with Georgia. Now, maybe I'm just obviously more alert to this because it is UGA, but it's not like we were talking about Texas Tech for you know a million days after Patrick Mahomes first won the Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs. You obviously follow the NFL you know more obsessively than I do. Have you found it a little bit strange just how much the Georgia stuff seems to have been connected to Matthew Stafford here? Because this is not really what I'm used to seeing for Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. I would say that there was a fair amount of LSU discussion around Joe Burrow as well. So I, I do think that, you know, it, it's really pick and choose. I think when you come from a major marquee program, like say Stafford did at Georgia, like say Joe Burrow at LSU, it's easier to do that. Whereas Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech, there wasn't a lot of, say, even at the college rank national attention on him coming out. I think, you know, if Trevor Lawrence gets there, there'd be a decent amount of Clemson connection and discussion there. Uh, you know, if Justin Fields gets there, though, I don't think he will as quarterback of the Chicago Bears because the Chicago Bears are a dumpster fire. I, I think that's probably an area where you see that at Ohio State connection come out. So I, I do think because of the proximity with Georgia, because of the, the overall brand of Georgia, which really speaks to just how popular and well-known the University of Georgia is to have a guy, Matthew Stafford, who played there over a decade ago and yet still have that same sort of synonymity with the program, I think speaks to the overall brand of Georgia football right now. You know, I think you and I are on the same page on, and I've been talking about this now for a while, is that the people that have told you, oh, that football is all about offense and it's quarterbacks, it's wide receivers, you got to score 50 points, whatever else. I mean, to me, the NFL stands as such a strong rebuke to a lot of that. Not to say the quarterback play and the offense doesn't matter. It, it obviously clearly does, but it hasn't negated the role of defense either. That's been really true throughout this postseason. I think it was true in the Super Bowl again after the Bucks defense was so big a year ago. And really, you want to go back and look last five, ten years, we've actually had a fairly strong number of low-scoring Super Bowls all the way around that, that it is still about complementary football, is it not? It's still about having – 22 guys contributing in as many different ways they can quarterback the single most important position and the guys that help the quarterback become very important because of that but pro football stands as a reminder here that defense still matters at that league and in the league in which georgia just won a national championship yeah i think sunday was such a perfect distillation of what football is where the bet defenses are going to win you and keep you in games. I, I, as much as they were struggling to protect Joe Burrow, especially there in the second half, other the Bengals defensive line did a great job holding the Rams to only 43 rushing yards, making life difficult for Matthew Stafford for most of that game, especially after Odell Beckham Jr. went out. And yet when it comes down to it, the thing we're all talking about, the thing everyone wants to talk about is Matthew Stafford's ability to lead them on that final drive there. And in Cooper cup, I would, say he's really not getting enough praise for, I thought, how well he played in that game. I, I think you look at that, and that's sort of what I think football is. You need a defense that is able to keep you in games. The Bengals were only in that game because the defense figured them some things out and really shut down the Chiefs' offense there in the second half of that AFC championship game. And then when you absolutely need them to, you need a quarterback who was able to make the throws that Stafford was. That no-look throw to Cooper Cup is just an outrageous throw to make at that point in the game. And, and it speaks to what Stafford has always been, a guy who has unreal talent, but for a variety of reasons, most of them not within his own control, has never had a chance to display that kind of playmaking ability on the biggest stage. He had a chance to do it last night or excuse me, on Sunday night. And I would say most of the game, he was not perfect, was not great, especially after the old Odo Beckham injury, I think made the Rams a lot easier to defend. But late in that game, the Rams just said, look, we have to find ways to get Cooper Cup the football. Matthew Stafford is a talented enough quarterback to where he can put the ball in a place where only Cooper Cup is able to make plays there. And I think it shows what Stafford has always been about, a guy who 
has always clearly had the talent and just could never really find himself in the right situation to display it. And very fortunately did get the chance to do so on Sunday night. And we'll finish with this. How much fun is that location? SoFi stadium going to be as the site of next year's national championship game. I certainly hope George is there playing in the game, but boy, not a traditional college football town necessarily. Although I guess USC fans and UCLA fans would somewhat disagree with that, but man, an unbelievable stadium. I thought it looked very cool for the super bowl. And I think it's a really cool spot to have a national championship game next year. You certainly expected the weather to be warmer in LA than it was in Indianapolis this past January. So, so yes, but, but can, can I also say shouldn't the game just be held, you know, I guess 45 minutes to an hour away in Pasadena with the Rose Bowl. I, that is a more college football environment. One could make that argument for sure. One could definitely do that. Connor, thank you for being here for our Kurger Fresh Take. We'll look forward to reading a lot more from you at uh, dognation.com in the days to come. And we appreciate your time on the show today. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So uh, good stuff from Connor, and yeah, he's right. Obviously, uh, Pasadena, the uh, great venue for the Rose Bowl. If you don't mind, can we bring that music down just a little bit? Uh, great venue for the Rose Bowl, and uh, just a few miles down the road in L.A., SoFi Stadium there for next year in the national championship game. That's all going to be really cool. Let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean, and I've got my own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation coming up. Now, we also have some really great stuff uh, coming with our friends there as well. When it comes to uh, the big Dog Nation cruise, it's on its way. Can't wait for that. Really excited about all of that. And I got my own cruise coming up, too. I'm just going to have so much Royal Caribbean in my life in the uh, next couple of months, which I'm really, really excited about. So if you go to dognation.com, you can find the link to be a part of the Dog Nation cruise. That's going to be awesome. And for me, there is as well you know when you look at these Royal Caribbean cruise ships and you see you see us show them on the screen each and every day just so excited about all the different things to do on board and you know it's kind of fun because over the course of the last few days I've been you know kind of planning my trip and getting ready to go and trying to figure out all the things I get a chance to do on board and I've told you before I kind of like that part of it i, I kind of like you know watching all the youtube videos and digging in all the stuff and seeing the aqua theater and the very cool high diving shows that exist there or all the fun stuff that goes on at perfect day coco k all the other entertainment options and specialty restaurants and things like that and i don't know man it's just it's time to start thinking about vacations it's time to start doing that whether it be dog nation cruise coming up in april or my own cruise here coming up in just a few days i'm just really excited about all of it and my advice to you is to to use somebody that can help you get going on this too it's tcava.com that's the website tcava.com or 770-952-8300 that's going to get you in touch with the cruise and vacation authority and that's a uh, great uh, group of travel experts who work with you at no additional charge to get the most out of your royal caribbean cruise vacation they've been on the ships they know all the different ports they know all the different uh, shore excursion opportunities all the cool things that kind of go along with doing a uh, great royal caribbean cruise vacation including perfect day coco k the private island right there in the bahamas my friends at the cruise and vacation authority know all about that so check them out tcava.com or give them a call 770-952-8300 and go to dognation.com find out more details about coming up in april the big dog nation cruise and all the fun we're going to be having doing all of that on independence of the seas and all the great stuff there cannot wait to talk to you more about that in the time to come boy what a great time all of that's going to be so as we go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean, let, let me do a couple of things with, with you here for a moment. So the other day, we kind of got into a big discussion about the push. And I, I think Sports Illustrated was the first to write about this, although I guess there have been some other national outlets there as well, is that, you know, a, a labor organization has challenged in the state of California, UCLA, USC, men's basketball, football, women's basketball, some of those sports to classify the athletes that play those sports as employees and in some form or fashion that seems to be a a push that seems to be growing we've had a lot of change around college sports the last year or so some of this has happened at the supreme court level we've seen the advent of name image likeness but all of that may be kind of a small precursor to what could be on the way if you have you know players that are given the right to unite together and collectively bargain for you know basically employee status and some of the things go along with that what we've said before is is that hey you got to be really careful here because while there are some people who seem to really want to push the world of college athletics in that direction that it's not obvious to me that classifying football players let's just keep it football for a moment that classifying football players as employees would be better for the average person that plays college football i think some people are kind of left to wonder well ba why would that be true so let me try to give you an example um, 
uh, let me try to give you an example of why that is. So Jeff uh, Passan at ESPN.com has got a story that said um, Major League Baseball has asked for the ability to eliminate hundreds of minor league playing jobs in the latest labor proposal. So what you, right now you have a Major League Baseball work stoppage that's ongoing, and it's actually the ownership that's locked out the players in this particular case. And there is a collective bargaining negotiation back and forth and players want their stuff owners want their stuff for the most part we all just kind of get sort of eyes glossed over about the entire thing but there are some small details within this that i think are really interesting which is what you find out is is that the number of players who are getting paid to play minor league baseball is going down first of all there are way fewer minor league teams they used to be we've seen a total of a couple hundred you know teams contracted out of the sport i think over the course of the uh, last handful of years but also with the minor league teams that are still remaining the number of paid players on those organizations is also going way down as well i think it's going from a total of like 180 down to 150 is the proposal on the part of major league uh baseball that's like 30 players per team if i have the uh math correct on that it's somewhere in that general vicinity of you know young athletes these are these are future you know major league in some cases stars or in other cases major league performance not all of them will make it some of them will but the pool of talent that becomes major league baseball is now going down that these are employees and major league baseball has a right to treat its employees however it wants to for the most part and so it's just simply getting rid of some of them and that's what i think you have to be very careful with when it comes to the college football part of this the 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 comparison ought to be obvious here is that once you're an employee then you have the potential of being treated just like any other employee and you better believe that if you look at the nfl which does not operate on an 85 man roster the nfl operates on a 53 man roster uh they don't want to pay for 85 players in their team there will be a push amongst some college football programs but probably not in the sec place like that to reduce the size of the roster simply because of the cost associated with having players in the team that you've got to be really, really careful that the push for change around college sports doesn't start to resemble some of the things you see with other young talent that's also classified as an employee. Ask the average minor league baseball player what the experience is like playing minor league baseball, and I think he's going to tell you, you know, it's not so great. Uh, there's been plenty of chatter about that over the course of years, and the same thing could be said in other places there as well, that if you pick and poke at the fabric of what has made college football college football long enough, you can't unravel it but so help me i have a hard time understanding how some of this is actually unraveling things for the better just something to consider there on that one more story i want to get to here and uh, mike griffith had a good thing the other day you know we had the recent coaches meeting taking place at um in birmingham for the sec coaches and greg sankey was on hand there for that sankey was also interviewed on the paul feinbaum show around that same time and sankey addressed a couple of topics that i do think are certainly worth being on your radar one of the things that sankey you know kind of also tried to do was throw a little bit of water on some of the hysteria around how name image likeness has currently impacted the the world of recruiting and you know it sounds like what sankey said here and you can read the story for yourself at dognation.com is a little bit more in line with what i believe that the biggest problem for coaches right now is not the willingness of other programs to use name image likeness to steal all their players it's the rumors and unsubstantiated reports about all of this that create a hysteria among players where they're constantly being worried that somebody somewhere is getting something that they're not that for the average program it's the it's the telephone game of what's happening for some players somewhere else related to nil it's probably a bigger issue than the actual nil payments themselves it's one of the reasons why i hope that over the course of the rest of this calendar year we see some substantiated claims some actually verifiable data about who's getting paid what they're getting paid how much that it is i think we'll find out that the average actual payment on the record is actually a lot lower than some of the crazy bro bible style claims that you've seen out there it was interesting to see sankey speak about that a little bit this week he's obviously got a lot of different you know factions and concerns that he represents as sec commissioner interesting to see that from him the other thing that sankey gave voice to is the likelihood in the very near future that the sec scheduling model is going to be very different that as you bring in texas and oklahoma and you you know become you know as opposed to a 
14-team league with two seven-team divisions. Now you got 16 teams in the league, and all of a sudden, the idea of having divisions like this becomes a little unwieldy, and there's a desire. I think the majority of fans and the majority of media certainly seem to want to see a little bit more balance in the schedule where you don't go quite so long without playing You know, certain teams in the SEC, rotating things. A little bit more frequently, it sounds like there is a door open for that a bit in the very uh, near future as well. So Greg Sankey addressing some of those topics there last week. You can read more about that at dognation.com. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I want to also turn your attention here for a moment to our friends at Marlowe's Tavern because they've got a very fun special thing they've got going on as a way of celebrating Mardi Gras. Some tastes of the Big Easy and all the great stuff going on at, uh, with New Orleans with the Bayou and Bourbon Celebration Menu. Now, we've told you before about Chef John Matt and all his creative menu items that he brings to our, our friends there at Marlowe's Tavern. Well, right now, they're embracing all the Cajun flavors, and they want you to enjoy that. In fact, Temper even changing the name of the neighborhood tavern instead of Marlowe's with the L-O-W-S. It's now Marlowe's with the E-A-U-X spelling, which I think is really fun. So you can go to Marlowe's Tavern.com, and that's still spelled the same way it always is, and find out about all the great menu items, including the roasted chicken and shrimp gumbo, the honey bourbon bread pudding, which is always one of my favorite dessert items that's available from time to time there around Marlowe's. And also great weekly specials as well, like the Nolan Style Po' Boy, the Deconstructed Jambalaya, so many other great things there as well. In fact, it's starting tomorrow, February 16th is when all of this kicks off. The Bayou and Bourbon event there at Marlowe's Tavern, uh, beginning tomorrow, February 16th. So make sure you check that out. And don't forget to try the special Hurricane Cocktail as well, because you know if Marlowe's Tavern is doing it, uh, they're also going to be putting some great craft cocktails on all of this too. And if you're watching on video, you can see the temporary spelling of Marlowe's with the E-A-U-X spelling i really like that that's really fun stuff from marlo's so check out marlo's tavern.com for more on the bayou and bourbon event which is ongoing a really fun thing that i know you will enjoy speaking of enjoying things i've had so much enjoyment hearing from you who've gotten a copy of top dogs the great book from our friends at the atlanta journal of constitution that i was lucky enough to be a part of i have the epilogue which is just kind of a fancy way of saying the final piece in the book Reflecting back on a national championship means to me, by the way, you can get this for yourself, triumphbooks.com slash Georgia wins or 800-888-4741, the number to dial if you want to order that. Also, a link at dognation.com will get you there. And that's what our uh, golden shoe is also in a relationship to today as well. Kristen Wall uh, reaches out to say that she got her copy of that. She says, well done, Dog Nation Daily. She says it tugs on the old heartstrings. Would love to get your John Hancock on this. Well, Krishna, I would love to sign that for you there as well. And I just appreciate you reading the book. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts about that and uh, putting that out there on social media. Krishna will make you a golden shoe winner for today. Lousy, stinking Gators. How about a long title drop for them? 4,786 days and Gator Hater Countdown back in Jacksonville, beating Florida again. Just 256 days from right now. We will see all of you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia.